What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Good evening, Rifters! This is Rifts and Rules, the 5e D&D podcast where we go through the many 5e books and talk about various rules to enhance your gameplay experience. I'm Remy, Dungeon Master and a player on the Riftwake podcast. I'm Mitch, another player on Riftwake and a D&D enthusiast. And today's topic is travel. So travel is a subcategory topic that we're going to be focusing in on today. We have talked in the past about there's the three pillars of D&D where it is social, exploration, and combat. So under the exploration category, we want to focus in today on travel in particular, just going from point A to point B, because that is one of those things that is deceptively difficult in D&D and something that a lot of Dungeon Masters can struggle with. So with that being said, uh, Mitch, what are some ways that you've come across about how travel can work in 5e D&D. Walking. Yeah, that is the obvious way. So with that in mind, what kind of prep might a DM need to do when planning to have a party walk from point A to point B? Encounters, weather, time, uh, can't think of anything else. All right, so follow up to that then. How much time do you think or not time, but how much do you think a DM needs to actually prep for just those possibilities? Like, how much just should a DM prep? Well, I mean, if you're going a well-traveled path between two big cities, probably gets a lot of traffic. Probably the odds of a random counter, super low. Probably don't need to do a whole lot of prep. You're off trekking in the middle of the jungle that's never been explored. Probably need to do a lot of prep. Yeah. Would you or, say, though, Or pull that- it all out of your ass. Or pull it all out of your ass. So is there any one way in particular that you think would work best for prepping? Uh, Having never DM'd, I got no clue. (laughs) Well, just your opinion. I'm always curious just what you think. I mean, everyone fucking runs their games a little different, you know? Some guys are really good at coming up with shit on the fly, and some guys are Nathan. I mean, no, uh, that, that was a cheap shot, but I had to take. <laughs> I love you, Nathan, if you're listening. He doesn't listen. He never listened, even when he edited them. <laughs> anyway, you're correct. There is not a singular way to do things. This is yet another of the many, many D&D related topics that could be done just via Spectrum. Like, yeah, you can do it with massive quantities of prep that you know every possible interaction that might occur 
or you can have absolutely no prep and pull it all out of your ass. And there is not a correct answer how to do it. Is it possible that a DM can, you know, flub things if they have inadequate prep, though? Yeah. So this is one of those topics where I think that it is a good idea for a DM to just have that kind of, you know, uh, not meditative. That's not the word I'm looking for. Introspective. That's the word. Just to have that kind of self-knowledge of, okay, this is my style. This is the way that I'm good at it. And just to do the correct amount of prep for your individual styles. So this is actually one of the rare occasions where I myself am probably not going to follow the pattern that most would expect of me. So Mitch, what would you expect would be my answer in terms of prep? Uh, a chart for every route you can possibly take. Uh-huh. Uh, several tables. Uh-huh. Yeah, you can't think of much more than that. Shit. Yeah. So I have thought about doing the typical me thing in terms of massive amounts of preparation, but this is one of the few situations where there is honestly too many variables, even for me. So I had considered to have like different charts for different environments. So to have a different chart based on, okay, you know, forests, mountains, tundra, you know, just each kind of biome. And then just to have thought of, okay, what type of creatures do live in those things? And it's relatively easy to sort, you know, creatures and, you know, monster encounters in that kind of planning because of the fact that, you know, in the monster descriptions, it does give like a territory listing for their preferred environment. So it'll say like Underdark or Tundra, Coastal, you know, yada, yada, yada for every single creature probably but the thing is you know me being me that wasn't quite enough variability to you know quote unquote only have that so i considered okay you know this particular this particular forest should have you know own so how far down that rabbit hole you want to go is up to you so honestly my suggestion is middle of the road to do what i first said and to just have mountain, forest, tundra, just the general stuff, and to have like a short list, you know, a D20 list maybe, if you, you know, want to go that far, of just the types of creatures that might be run into in potential random encounters. So you can go farther, though, or you could also, of course, do much less. Like, okay, so let's actually do the short list first on second thought. So what would you say is the basic amount of prep that a DM who does some amount of prep could do? Uh... <laughs> so what is the least amount of prep possible? I don't know, kind of just knowing what's in the area. Yeah. I mean, honestly, that's more prep. So I'm saying at the base level. So to, just because it's funny to me, to turn it into a math question, what is the least thing that is not zero? One. One. You can prep a singular thing. So instead of having random encounters, have a single planned encounter. Then you only need to prep one thing, and that's fine. So if you do have, you know, your players just going through some thick forest, 
Like you could just decide, okay, you know, my players are all level three. They've act, they've managed to find some decent gear at this point. Like I'm gonna let the I'm gonna have them encounter a troll, and we'll see how that goes. And then you can just prep a singular troll encounter. And you know, maybe you think like, okay, yeah, if the fight's going bad, maybe the troll is a sentient creature and might decide to just you know take their horse under its arm and just kind of walk off and eat the horse. Or you might decide maybe this is a creature that can be negotiated with, like if the fight doesn't go to plan. But if you just plan an encounter with a couple of backup plans, that's enough. You don't need to have a D20 list to roll for every single place, for every single situation and session that you are a part of. You can do that. I have done that. You don't need to. Like, if you just plan an appropriate encounter, that is sufficient. But to even backtrack even farther than that, do you need to have encounters while traveling? No. No. This is something that is a rather hot topic in D&D, which is just how to travel, really. Because... It is talked about in the DMG. It, there's charts and all kinds of examples given about, you know, travel pace and how far you're able to travel in a day and suggestions for a quantity of encounters per day. But the thing is, this is one of those times where I will actually make the argument that D&D's game logic gets in the way of story logic. because. If you're anticipating having, you know, four encounters a day, eight encounters a day, that's a lot. That's a lot of prep. That's a lot of combat. It's just a lot. And it is entirely possible that that is a totally fine thing. If that is the game that you're playing, if you're doing like combat to combat to combat gameplay, that's fine. But a lot of D&D isn't that. Like, this is where the focus on combat for XP can often be troublesome because it is just the automatic assumption that there's going to be some quantity of random encounters while traveling that will almost always be some kind of, you know, adventurers versus monster or, you know, maybe the occasional bandits if you're, you know, on a road somewhere. And that's really often the way that it is typically done but it doesn't have to be so just out of curiosity can you think of any other alternatives for just how you can travel without any random encounters fast travel fast travel and do you know a couple of ways to do that uh i mean like video game ways yeah but dnd ways no <laughs> All right, fair enough. So the easiest way would just be fast travel via narration. You know, you guys want to travel to the next city? Okay, you walk to the next city. It takes you three weeks, but you do it and you get there. Like, you might decide, like, yeah, you know, you might have had, like, you might narrate to decide, like, oh, yeah, you know, there might have been just occasional travelers on the road, but it passed relatively uneventfully. 
you know, again, hopefully, you know, as a DM, you might have a little bit more to say than just that, but you get the idea, I hope. Like, you can't just narrate, yeah, you do the thing, you go to the place, it takes X time, but you get there, good job. And then you just go. Because, again, something that a lot of Dungeon Masters don't think about a lot of the time, D&D is a game that has a lot of rules and frameworks on how to do things. You don't have to do any of them, really. If you want to just keep the focus in cities, like in the game that you're playing, like let's say you're playing you know, an intrigue or heist style of game, then spending, you know, a month of time in game and like six sessions, you know, of actual play, just getting from, you know, city A to city B, that just takes time out of the part of the story that you want to focus on. So if you don't want to focus on that, don't just narrate that. Yeah you go to the place. Or, other way to do it, as you were saying, actual fast travel. So Dungeons & Dragons does have teleportation in quite a number of ways. We've done an entire episode on that, in fact. So with that in mind, yeah, you can use, like, if you have access to the teleport spell, then obviously that's fantastically helpful. But even without that, maybe there are permanent teleportation circles in some number of locations in your world that can be used for fast travel. Because canonically, that's what that spell does. It basically does just create fast travel points in the D&D world. So 5th edition has that canonically just right there. 5th level spell, so something that sufficient, sufficiently wealthy cities would absolutely have the gold to do so. But then that could even create, you know, story opportunities is like, how accessible is that? Is it limited in some way? But anyway, yeah, for more information, listen to teleportation. But the point being, there are many different ways to travel. So, okay, so we mentioned narration, we've mentioned actual fast travel. Uh, are there any other methods of just hastening, just travel from one location to another? Airplane. <laughs> I mean, okay, I'll be honest, that's not one that I was thinking of, but yeah, you're right. D&D does have methods of flight. Like there are methods of either flying creatures, airships are a thing in some D&D worlds. Uh besides that, yeah, you absolutely could just have some method of flight. I mean, come to think of it, you know, there's also just spell magic options that give you or just individuals just some amount of fly speed. So I'm actually kind of curious because this is one that doesn't come up a whole lot, but there actually are quite a number of spells that do grant the ability to fly. So you tell me, just based on your own D&D knowledge, what do you think is the best travel spell that does not include any form of teleportation isn't there just a spell called flight uh fly yeah there yeah. is mm -hmm. maybe that it is a very good spell this is true uh but the downside is that even though that does give you a 60 foot fly speed 
it does only have a duration of 10 minutes with concentration. Mm. So that is somewhat limited. Yeah, because most of the movement spells I know of are just like Missy Step or, you know, something like that, which good, but uh, not exactly sustainable. Yeah, I mean, oh boy, if you had the ability to just miss you step infinitely, that would be kind of bullshit. Best cantrip but... ever. <laughs> I mean, well, actually, technically, like, there are ways to get infinite casting of a first or second level spell, like, just canonically, even without getting into Humber. So, technically, that can would it, be possible. It, it'd just be hard. Is it a, can't a bard do that or something like that? Or Wizards. Yeah. I, I remember there was something where at a certain point they're just like, pick a spell. That's a cantrip now. Yeah. Yeah, that is a thing. And it is bullshit in the best way possible. <laughs> but honestly, there's another spell. The big downside, though, is that it is druid only. But it is amazing. And it irks me that it is so little known a spell. Tree thread? Also useful, but no. Have you ever heard of Windwalk? Not in a D&D sense. All right. Although, actually, before I get into Windwalk, you are right. The Tree Stride is a fantastic spell that is also one that is not appreciated enough. But that is a good spell. But what Windwalk does, it does take a full minute to cast, but has an eight-hour duration. So what it does, though, you and up to ten willing creatures you can see within range assume a gaseous form for the duration, appearing as wisps of cloud. While in this cloud form, a creature has a flying speed of 300 feet. The only actions a creature can take in this form are to dash or revert to normal form, which takes a minute, yada, 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 yada. Until the spell ends, you can revert to cloud form, which also takes a minute again. And then uh, if you're flying when the effect ends, you safely descend 60 feet around for a minute until you land. Uh, But if it takes more than a minute, then you fall. But yeah, so Windwalk... 300 foot fly speed but it also explicitly says that you can dash which would mean that you have a 600 foot fly speed that's pretty ridiculous <laughs> it's pretty fast ain't it yeah just a little and yet tell me have you ever even heard of that spell before nope no like it is what is an amazing spell that is never talked about probably because it is druid only which is honestly a little bit sad to me. I wish that that was on like the sorcerer spell list as well, or something like that, to make it just more accessible, or just just like have a scroll of that come up, just something. Make use of that spell more because that is ridiculous. Six thousand, or sorry, six hundred feet around, which would mean you're flying six thousand feet per minute. So yeah, so that's a little bit more. Actually, wait a minute. It's huh. about a hair over so, a mile an hour. No, no, no. That's a hair over a mile a minute. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that's, that's actually like a little over... Yeah, so that's a little over 60 miles an hour. ish Yeah. So which is a pretty good speed, but also just does go to show, like, most things in D&D don't actually happen particularly fast. Like, the movement in D&D is one of its big criticisms, and for very good reason, in all honesty. Because, yeah, like, things in a D&D world are quite slow in combat. Anyway, but Windwalk. It is a really good travel spell. So if you do consider, okay, if About you're traveling... About 68 miles an hour. Okay, 
So if you're going 68 miles an hour and it has a duration of eight hours, so that gives you 544 miles of travel, again, flying continually. So let's just round down, assuming you stop for breaks, you stop you know, for snacks, whatever. So let's just say round it down to a nice even 500. 500 miles of travel with one sixth level spell casting for yourself and up to 10 willing creatures. Or like, let's say you cast it from a scroll. So yeah, so just 11, up to 11 of you. That is crazy fast. And so just the travel potential of that alone is pretty significant. And yet, most people have never even heard of that spell because it is druid only, which is just a damn shame. Like, honestly, I really would suggest just homebrew that at smidge and just say, like, it's on the sorcerer's spell list as well so that it just comes up more because it's a cool spell. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Anyway, all that being said, though, flight is an amazing form of travel because how many D&D creatures can you think of that are particularly fast flyers? Dragons. They're not actually that fast. Hmm. I mean, they do have a fly speed of around 80 feet on average, I want to say, which, which is much faster than most adventures, but still. Windwalk lets you outpace everything. There is nothing that fast, like unless you have like a truly just broken BS speed build for a character. But generally speaking, nothing is going to be faster than 600 feet around. So let's actually zoom back in a little bit to other types of flight. So the fly spell, you know, there is, of course, the broom of flying, the carpet of flying, you know, all the classic just methods of flight. So let's stick with the flight spell because that 60-foot speed is up there for fly speeds. So, okay, so if you are flying with a fly speed of 60 feet, besides dragons, can you think of any other fast flyers? <sighs> I, I know there's one I'm trying to think of, but I'm drawing a blank on it. Yeah, describe. It is me, I probably know. It flies, uh, it attacks players. Uh, uh-huh. Any specific details? No. <laughs> Does it have any kind of elemental affinity? Does it remind you of some kind of movie monster or anything like that? Like, does it have like a well-known tactic? I think it's a demon thing, maybe? I don't know. A sturge? No, that doesn't sound right. Is it like a demonic mosquito? Maybe. I don't know, man. I listen to a lot of podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, all right. Fair enough. But anyway, the point that I was trying to make, though, is that dragons are like the king of the skies for good reason. That 80-foot fly speed is pretty significant. So I was hoping to just get you to name anything else but dragons, because the point that I want to make 
is that if you do have like a party with that all has brooms of flying, then you're just able to maintain like a 50 foot fly speed pretty much indefinitely. So if you do have flight, you can just skip over all kinds of creatures because pretty much everything but like the high CR creatures, you know, dragons, like the stronger demons and devils and such. Most of most creatures don't have a fly speed faster than 50 feet. So if you have a party with brooms, they can just fly over and past more than 95% of potential encounters easily. So that is something to consider is that if you do have a medium to high magic D&D world to just have that be a thing, like to instead of having conventional roads all the time, Maybe it is just the norm for there to be airships or for there to be just caravans of people on brooms with goods held in bags of holding to just traverse overland to just bypass all of the just dangerous as shit things that just do live on the ground in a D&D world. And that lets you skip all of that. So with that in mind, though, can you think of any flaws or cons to that strategy? Uh, airships and dragons probably don't mix very well, but I mean, you know, it's funny you bringing that up. It reminded me of a, I've actually read a book series where they couldn't go on the ground. Like all the cities were on like big ass hills. There was like a fog underneath and they had to fly from like city to city and shit. It wasn't Dragon like, Rider Supreme, right? No, no. Cause the, the, this I was, this was like, the like in the future like radiation all that Got shit it. like that but there's like fucking monsters and stuff in the in the ground so that's why they'd fly everywhere yeah and you could totally do that in D. but again are there any other cons that you can think of to the planet gravity i mean the planet <laughs> itself isn't fu to gravity so no i mean outside of getting attacked in the air and crashing to your death you don't think of any yeah the other big flaw that I see with that, though, is the fact that you're flying over 95% of potential encounters. So there are tons of things that you as a DM might want to do, but if you do give your players some ability to just fly over things, well, most of the time, the party is going to do that. So you might have all kinds of plans with, you know, this cool creature or this encounter and the players are just like fly over it fly over it we fly over it so it takes a lot of arrows out of your dm quiver to only have either flying creatures or just things with just ridiculously long ranges to have any hope of attacking the party if that is what you want to do so well, like the, there's a drawback to doing that constantly from a player end and mm -hmm. that's if you need those combat to get experience to level up, you might just end up going to a, a big battle and you are way under leveled for it all of a sudden. Maybe that definitely is a thing that might happen. Like, I know it's happened to plenty get, in video games. So. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that is definitely something that's getting way into the meta side of things. 
But yeah, you are correct though, because depending on how generous as a DM, you know, you are with your experience, like if the players do just continually avoid encounters, then yeah, maybe they don't know all their abilities as well, or they don't know, you know, all the things that they, you know, have collected over time or, you know, what have you. So that is something that can be problematic. So easy solution is to just make sure that you, uh, I don't want to use the phrase don't allow, but it's the closest. So be cautious is how I'll phrase it then about how soon you allow your party to have access to permanent flight. Because it's one thing if they just have the fly spell, in which case, okay, they can fly over and encounter, and then the spell only lasts 10 minutes, so that'll be that. And then they've used up a resource, and then okay, that makes sense. But if you do let your players have access to an airship, or if you do let your players have you know access to brooms of flying, then yeah, like if depending on how early level the party gets that, that might be potentially troublesome in the long run. So what should a DM do in that situation? Like, this is one of those questions, again, that does not have a single solid correct answer. It really does depend on your DM style, your DM prep, your DM setup, and just the style of campaign that you're playing at that particular moment. Because if you're playing in a game that has very common, easy, fast travel to get from one place to another, then having a flying option doesn't really matter. Because if they could just teleport anyway, if they had the gold, then okay, then it, it is irrelevant because there is other fast travel alternatives already in place. But if it is a situation where you as a DM just accidentally, or if the players figure out something clever to get access to it early, then yeah, it is very possible for them to skip over a lot of encounters, which another flaw could also mean that they don't collect clues or information or make or contacts or get loot that they might otherwise have. So yeah, it is a surprisingly tricky subject to get right because there is not one way to do it. So I'm not going to say just don't give your players flight. I'm simply saying just be cautious and aware of how soon you give your players access to flight, how soon they gain access to any types of fast travel that might exist in your world. So I'll be honest, there is also one other method of travel that I have not talked about. Have you ever heard of something called the lightning rail? No. So the world of Eberron is an interesting place. So this is one of the higher magic canon, like official D&D worlds. And there is a lot of just neat magic stuff that exists in that multiverse that just often does not exist elsewhere. So one thing that they do, like they basically have a bunch of magic crystals that they use to fuel a train that is just kind of like a maglev train, just powered by lightning magic, basically. It's really freaking cool. And like the pictures of it are also pretty neat. But the idea, though, is that, okay, 
there's a magic train. That's pretty cool. But that allows you to travel. It allows you to skip over a lot of the, for lack of a better phrase, lesser you know, creature encounters that you might want to not bother with by the time your players can afford such a thing. But because it is still a ground-based transportation method, then yeah, that still gives lots of opportunity for a DM of like bandits trying to hijack the train. Or you can have, you know, a monster that, you know, maybe some just like large creature of some sort just like fell asleep on the tracks and that needs to get dealt with. Like imagine if you just have something like, I don't know, a particularly large boulette, you know, a land shark that just like fell asleep on the track somehow because like it liked the tingle of the lightning rail or whatever, you know, motivation you decide to give it. But then you, it still lets you as a DM make use of a lot of ground-based encounters. So I actually really like the lightning trail in, you know, high magic D&D worlds because it just gives a lot of fun opportunities. So any other travel methods you can think of that we haven't mentioned as of yet? Having somebody really strong throw you really far. (laughs) I guess that's, I mean, that'll let you move a bit. Unfortunately, I don't think you stick to landing. Yeah, I don't. Well, I mean, that's what magic is for. Just have Featherfall handy. And there are magic items that grant access to Featherfall. Catapult. <laughs> Jesus. Uh, that would be kind of funny. It made me flash back to Robin Hood, Men in Tights. You just put one of these heavy rocks in this basket where I'm sitting, and then you pull that lever there. This lever? Yank. Ah! <laughs> oh, that's a great movie. <laughs> it's a great movie. But anyway... Well, yes, that would allow you to move some amount. I would debate that it's far enough to count as travel. But anyway, uh, actually, uh, one other one that hasn't come up yet. Travel by sea, making use of ships. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, this has been one of the ways that humans have just traveled across Earth for thousands of years. And in a D&D world, too, there would be definitely some amount of shipping. But, of course, where things get more complicated in the D&D world is the fact that there are quite a number of sea monsters of various varieties. You know, giant eels, krakens, and then you've also got other beings like merfolk and such. Like, there's a lot of things under the ocean that are very, very dangerous as well. But again, in a boat, that is a thing that such creatures can attack, but at the same time, a bit of a tangent, but I love siege weaponry. I just have a more than minor obsession with them, whether it's, you know, catapults, ballistae, you know, mangano, just all of it. I think that it's really neat. And it is something that I would like to see more of in D&D, but is often not the case. And having an adventure on a ship is a wonderful opportunity to have you know, a whole bunch of ballista just along the sides of a ship because you just would kind of need to. In, you know, a, in a D&D world where there are such creatures, you'd need to have something to keep yourselves safe from wildlife, you know, in some form or fashion. You know, or there's also lots of other, you know, interesting adventures that you could really just have on the seas. But you could have an entire campaign where either... You are you like you have a ship on your own and are trying to hunt down pirates, or the other way, 
where you guys are the pirates. I've actually done the latter before as just a fun evil campaign idea. And oh man, that was a blast. And the players, well, they did terrible, terrible things, but that's not terribly surprising. Anyway, uh, the point being, ships are cool, siege weapons are cool, and that would just be another just neat thing to see more of in terms of just traveling from a, you know destination A to B. Because it is pretty common in D&D also for there to be like weird uh, geography. So you might have places where like, oh yeah, you know, you sail up the coast here, and if you go into this cave, then you go to the source of the water of this river, which is actually this other place totally across the planet. So you just have to like sail at this spot, and then it creates a kind of fast travel point to like this other location. Like there's a lot of things that you as a DM can do with that of just having there be magical weirdness that creates new travel opportunities and methods that aren't just part of just the standard you know methods and possibilities that do already exist there's no limit to the things that you as a dungeon master can create that's part of the beauty of dungeons and dragons so with that being said again just to toss something to you mitch can you think of any other just just pull out of your ass makeup methods of just transportation from a to b hmm giant tunneling machine huh that'd actually be kind of neat so more along the lines of just you're trying to get somewhere secretly or just like travel via just massive underground tunnels that like just you know fast forward a bit that they have been dug either yeah I mean, honestly, you're not going to get attacked by a dragon cool. in a tunnel probably hopefully <laughs> Uh, yeah, that would be pretty neat. And honestly, like, if you have just a massive, you know, drill, siege engine, whatever you decide to call the thing, like, it, it's probably gonna just chew through any monsters in the way anyway. And then if you do have some other creatures that come from the sides or the back, well, that's what you're there for as adventurers. Like, that would actually be a pretty interesting mission if you're just in that, like, super confined space and then there is just some monster or monsters that are just trying to deal with this thing. Or whether it is like a people situation of like, yeah, you're trying to burrow to get like into a castle that has a particularly good and well-defended wall around it. So you're trying to go under. Well, then maybe they do have like some method of like tracking into the tunnel and you have to just defend it from the guards. Like, there's a lot of adventures that you could just come up with just from just there being some type of underground drill. That could be a lot of fun. So yeah, good idea. Like, or just the other way of just like, okay, yeah, like these are things that exist and have been in use for some amount of time now. So then you just have underground tunnels. And again, like, okay, if you do have these sizable tunnels, then yeah, that might be, you know, safe-ish roads to just walk. Or again, you could make use of, you know, some version of rail and just have some kind of underground train system or just, you know, underground transit of some sort or device or function, what have you. That would be really fucking cool. I mean, oh, actually, you ever play uh, WoW? No. Okay. Ah, never mind then. 
So just to describe more generically then. So imagine if instead of just an enclosed train, if you just had floating platforms that do just travel at great speed from you know A to B. That would be terrifying if you consider like if you fall off, you're probably paced. Because at speed, just that amount of tumbling, that'd be just a lot of bludgeoning damage. So if you do have someone start shit on one of these platforms, or if you do have, you know, some kind of monster just like fall onto the platform or just get on or get summoned or what have you, there's lots of ways to have monsters appear. That would be a, again, very interesting spot to have combat, a good combat environment. Because imagine if you do have like relatively small platforms. Like let's say they're like 10 feet wide by 20 feet long, and there's a series of, you know, four to six of them just in a row, just kind of tied together. So you have very confined space. You need to be damn sure that you don't like get just pushes and shoves, you know, spells like Thunderwave would be crazy effective and terrifying in that environment. Like having there be more to just the common location. Like, I really like that idea, honestly. There's a lot of things that you could do with that. You're welcome. <laughs> yeah, thank you, Mitch. I appreciate that. So, all that being said, travel is a really complicated topic in D&D in general. But it doesn't have to be troublesome for you all the time. The best way to do it that I found is to simply understand your own DM style and game style for the one that you're running, and then just do the adequate amount of prep for the game that you're trying to play and the story that you want to tell. Because, as always, the goal is to just have fun. You can overcomplicate it, you can underprep. But honestly, even if you don't do perfect, good enough is good enough, and that's good enough. Thanks for listening to this episode of Riffs and Rules. Please leave us a review and give us five stars on iTunes. Also, support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash Podcast. Tiers start as low as a dollar, and even that much really helps us out. Supporters get benefits such as behind-the-scenes content, early access to episodes, access to a monthly hangout where you'll be able to chat with the cast, and even input on Riffs and Rules topics. Find us on social media on Twitter at Riftwake Podcast, on Facebook as Riftwake, and you can send us an email, riffsandrules at gmail.com. That's riffs A and D rules at gmail.com. God, that was cheesy as shit at the end. I was just like, words are failing me. Yeah, Fuck. I've been there. Yeah. Usually when I'm uh, trying to ask a woman out, but. Yeah. Yeah, that's, uh, that's a little bit more difficult than just talking D and D.